Well, my name's Rob Jacobson, and I am a tech geek. So uh, I want you to think about a technology that you did not use. You know, you can pick the time 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago. But, but now you couldn't imagine living without. Okay? So, you know, depending on your age, this could be easy, this could be not. Like, maybe if it's only five years, you might say Instagram. Like, that wasn't very popular five years ago, but this is a technology that I can now not live without because I, I respond to all my friends, I exchange messages, and now I'm there. All right? So, anybody want to throw theirs out there? We'll let you, you know, this can be interactive, it's okay. Technology that you can't imagine living without now. Google Maps, what? GP, GPS? Smartphone? I don't know how people did it. Seriously. They actually, my dad showed me a map. <laughs> like, a road map. It was about an inch thick, and it was 24 inches high and 12 or 18 inches wide, and I'm like, where would you put this? And he's like, the glove box. <laughs> what kind of car do you drive? Totally. I'm there. GPS, global positioning system. I mean, this is the space-based satellite mapping system that can pinpoint your location, your time, and your direction, like at any, virtually any place on the planet. It's a little scary. You could Google, I was thinking, like, maybe to introduce this, we could Google people's backyards just to see, like, what's there, but we decided, I decided that probably wouldn't be great. Now, here's what's, here's what's just as amazing as GPS. The fact that some people complained about that recalculating message, you know, that you get when you make a mistake, because, I don't know, they didn't want to be told they were made, made a mistake, so it's changed now to rerouting instead of recalculating, because apparently, apparently rerouting sounds better than recalculating, which we know is short for, you missed the turn, you dimwit, turn around and try again. <laughs> So I was driving this week um, out to this pastor's retreat in Wisconsin, and I have to take Highway 8 over to Highway 53, and then I'm supposed to go north on Highway 53, and then, like, County Road B or County Road D. I don't, I love my friends in Wisconsin, but why must you, like, label your roads with letters? I, 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 I know. I'm trying to be gentle. Because B and D sound a lot alike, and they kind of look alike, especially when an electronic robotic voice is saying, like, turn right on County Road D. Oh, B? Like, and so all of a sudden, rerouting sign comes up, and I'm like... <sighs> but, you know, the technology really simply responds to human behavior. Like, you can, you can choose to ignore it. You can choose to blindly follow it. There's a lot of different responses that you can have with these rerouting signs, if you will. But in the Bible, in God's big story, we actually find out what the best way to respond well to a rerouting sign is. So if you have a Bible or a device where you read the Bible, then uh, why don't you turn to the book of Joel? Joel might be hard to find. It's after Psalms. It's after Ezekiel. It's... Before Micah, Zechariah, Zephaniah, Matthew, if those are helpful. It's on, never mind. It's on page 906 if you have my Bible. But. <laughs> so Joel was a prophet about 800 B.C. 
And the prophets were people that would often give these rerouting signs to the nation of Israel, to the nation of Judah, to the people of God, to say, hey, you need to respond. But they often had to decide if they would respond, just like I had to decide how I was going to respond when I took County Road D instead of County Road B in my beloved state of Wisconsin, my place of birth. Now, now you might think that just applies to roads. However, I think that we all experience rerouting signs in our life. Uh, I have a friend of mine. His wife is in her early 40s. She went to the doctor about seven weeks ago, and he the doctor came out and diagnosed her with breast cancer. That was a big rerouting sign for him. Enter. And it took their family in a very different direction than they thought they were going to go. Another friend of mine um, talked to me a little while ago, and he said, you know, I knew my marriage was in a tough place, but I just didn't realize how fragile it was until the big rerouting sign came up one conversation. Sometimes I think rerouting signs can even be good things. For example, you bring a new baby home. That's, that's good stuff, but rerouting, like, things are going to be a little different. But we have to choose how we're going to respond. Joel gives us three steps to respond well. So in Joel chapter 1, might sound a little weird, but again, God gave his rerouting signs in lots of different ways. So listen to Joel chapter 1. It says, The Lord gave this message to Joel, son of Pethuel. Hear this, you leaders of the people. Listen, all you who live in the land. In all your history, has anything like this before ever happened? I mean, tell your children in, about it in the years to come, and let your children tell their children, and let their children tell their children. Pass it on from generation to generation. After the cutting locusts finished eating the crops, the swarming locusts took what was left. And after them came the hopping locusts, and then the stripping locusts too. So wake up, you drunkards, and weep. Wail, all you wine drinkers. All the grapes are ruined, and all your sweet wine is gone. A vast army of locusts has invaded my land, a terrible army too numerous to count. Its teeth are like lion's teeth. Its fangs are like those of a lioness. It has destroyed my grapevines. It has ruined my fig trees. It's stripping their bark and destroying it, leaving the branches white and bare. So weep like a bride dressed in black, mourning the death of her husband. For there's no grain or wine to offer at the temple of the Lord. So the priests are in mourning. The ministers of the Lord are weeping. The fields are ruined. The land is stripped bare. The grain is destroyed. The grapes have shriveled. The oil, olive oil is gone. Despair, you farmers, all you farmers. Wail, all you vine growers, and weep because of the wheat and barley. And all the crops of the field are ruined, and the grapevines have dried up, and the fig trees have withered. The pomegranate trees, the palm trees, the apple trees, all the fruit trees have dried up. And the people's joy has dried up with them. So, sounds super encouraging. <laughs> what is going on here? I don't know if any of you have lived in agricultural communities, but locusts came into this land and they absolutely destroyed everything. 
Locusts are bigger than grasshoppers. They fly. They make a buzzing sound. And in one of the plagues, when God delivered his people from Egypt, there was a plague of locusts that came on the land. So, so much so that the clouds and the sky turned dark everywhere and destroyed everything. Now, I don't know, that's pretty hard for me to imagine. But then I thought about, like, what about those times in your life where you've worked and worked and worked and worked at something, and then someone or something just comes and sweeps it away? Like, you've been in the job, you've worked on a project, and a coworker just comes and takes all the credit for it. Or you've been hoping for this thing and searching for this thing, and you find it, and all of a sudden it's taken away. It's pretty similar to the locust plague. Again, we talked about new babies sometimes being a rerouting sign, and and I often talk to men who, out of this hope and this love, they literally give birth to a baby, only to have a few weeks or months later almost resent the fact that their wife's time and attention is going to this child and not to them. It's like the locust plague. Something they hope for is swept away. These signs offer us a chance, in Joel's words, basically to take a look. Look around. That's the first step in responding well to a rerouting sign, is to take a look around. Maybe your life has taken a turn that you didn't imagine. Maybe things are a lot more painful or a lot harder than you imagine. Joel would say, take a look. What has been happening in your life? Where have you been spending your time? Where have you been spending your money? Where have you been spending your thoughts? I mean, is your life so full that it's good? Or is your life so full that it's actually painful? Joel would say, take a look. Look around. Assess your reality. You know, when the rerouting sign comes up, and when it came up on that county road D instead of county road B, the flash sign came up, and I had this choice. I just pulled over, and I hit that little button called overview. So I could go, where in the heck are you taking me, robotic GPS voice? And I got to look at the new route, and I got to decide, is this a place I'm going to take, or am I just going to turn around suck up my pride, and go back and find the right road. That's what taking a look means. It's like tapping the overview button of our life. And when we tap the overview button, we have to assess, really assess, those priorities in our life. God wants to be a priority in our life, but he's not going to force himself into our life. He's going to invite us to make him a priority. So as you think about where you're at today, is your life bringing you life? Or does your life feel a little bit like death? And that's not to shame anyone, that's not to guilt anyone, that's just to say stop and take a look. And, and God doesn't take any joy in bringing pain on us. I need you to hear that. He takes no joy in bringing pain to us. In fact, you see verses 6 and 7. We'll put them up on the screen. He actually takes the pain and the loss personally because all of these people, I mean, this is religious expectation. The religious people have experienced loss. The business community, the farmers, they've experienced loss. Even the entertainment community, if you will, the drunkards, they've experienced loss. So all different kinds of people have experienced loss in this story. And yet, in verses 6 and 7, a vast army has invaded 
What does God say? My lamp. My trees have been stripped bare. My grapevines have been destroyed. My fig trees have been ruined. This is God saying, I feel the pain that you feel. And God is probably the only one that can say that. If anybody else comes into our lives and is like, oh, I know just how you feel. It's not very helpful. But God actually does feel that. I mean, he loves his creation and that includes you. And so he's saying, I want you to take a look, but I want you to do more than take a look because I don't get any joy from bringing you pain. But sometimes I'm not blessing you because you're not following me. Sometimes God does tell us that. But the point isn't just to take a look, it's to, it's to make a change. And Joel would say that's the second step in this responding well to this rerouting sign in our life. Go further than just taking a look, but make a change. In fact, I often wonder if Henry Cloud took this principle from the prophets when he said in his book, Boundaries, we change our behavior when the pain of staying the same becomes greater than the pain of change. Think about that. We change our behavior when the pain of staying the same becomes greater than the pain of changing. Sometimes God allows some pain in our lives because he knows what's going to be ultimately good for us. I mean, listen to what the prophet says next. He says, Dress in burlap and weep, you priests. Wail, you who serve before the Lord. Come spend the night in burlap or sackcloth. This is a morning clothing. You ministers of my God. For there's no grain in the wine. There's no grain or wine. There's no offering at the temple. So announce a time of fasting. Call the people together for a solemn meeting. Bring the leaders and all the people of the land into the temple of the Lord your God and cry out to him there. In the next chapter, he says, Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments, or tear your heart and not your garments. So blow the ransom in Jerusalem, verse 15. Announce the time of fasting. Call the people together. Gather the children, the elders, those nursing, even the babies, and call the bridegroom from his quarters, and the bride from her private room. All kinds of people coming together in something that probably like the locust plague might not make a lot of sense to us unless we understand the biblical idea of mourning or lament. See, lament was this outward expression of crying out to God for not just, I'm sorry, but I need to make a change. Mourning fasting, weeping. These weren't just outward expressions to God to say, I need to change. They were actually expressions that were done together. They brought the community together. People would go over to houses. They would actually hire professional mourners to dress in certain clothing and cry out to God for you. But it was to bring awareness to your pain. I think we have that so wrong today. When we're hurting, we go away. And we want to be left alone. And what God wanted for his community is he wanted people to come together. Not to give each other sympathy, but to just be together. And to say, 
I'm sorry you're hurting. I cry with you. I want to be with you until you know the change you need to make. There's no shame. There was no judgment. There was this public, communal response. And that's what God is asking for his people. Because the church isn't just individual people finding Christ. It's certainly part of it. But it's the community of people, a group of people, seeking God and his big thing together. And I think, and when I look at the scriptures and I think about the story of God, his big thing is that he is bringing a people of blessing to a place of blessing to bless the whole world. That's his big thing. That's what he's always been doing with Abraham, with Moses, with David, with the temple, with the people, with Jesus. Bringing a people of blessing into a place of blessing to bless the whole world. That's a group of people seeking God's big thing. That's the church. And that's what he's trying to say to these people, to take a look and to make a change. And when I talk to people about the church being that, they often get excited, but they go, ooh, so what do you want from me? Like, what does that mean? Because I don't know if I can commit that much. Maybe, I'll, maybe I could do that later. Maybe you have little kids and like diapers up to your armpits and diapers, and you're like, ah, oh, I don't know, I could do that later. Or you're just like, I just got to get them into school, and I could do it later. Or, oh my gosh, they're leaving the house. Maybe I, 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 don't, I don't know how we're going to pay for this. I'll, I'll have to do it later. And God's super patient. Trust me, he will let us waste so much of our lives because we say, I'll do it later. But when we have the routing, rerouting sign come up, we've got to make a decision. That's what Joel is saying. That's what I think all the prophets are saying. Yeah, we need to take a look. Yes, we need to make a change. But we got to do more than that because that's what all the prophets have said over and over and over and over. In fact, I would say we don't change. We don't feel our way to changing a behavior. We behave our way to changing our feelings. And when we mourn and when we fast and when we weep, we're trying to behave in a way to change where we're at. See, God's instructions, they weren't rules to restrict us. They were actually roads that lead us to life. I mean, all the prophets said this, starting with Moses as the greatest prophet. He said, if you obey, you will be led to life. If you disobey, you will go to death. In fact, in one of his greatest moments, um, after 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, the people get to go into the promised land, the land of blessing, if you will, to be the people of blessing, to bless the whole world, just if they follow God's big thing. If they make that their highest priority, God says, I will do this. I want to do this. I want the world to know what a relationship with me looks like. And so God stops them. And he goes, I am setting before you life and death. I think we even have a, I mean, imagine Moses being on this mountain before going into the promised land. He's speaking to them in the book of Deuteronomy. For the whole book, it's just this big exhortation, encouragement speech about blessings and curses and life and death. And he says, towards the end of Deuteronomy chapter 30, he says, today, I'm giving you a choice between life and death, between blessings and curses. 
Now I call on heaven and earth to be my witnesses, to witness the choice you make. And oh, I hope you choose life so that you and your descendants might live. You can make this choice by loving the Lord your God and obeying him and committing yourself firmly to him. He says, this is the key to your life. And if you love and obey the Lord, you will live long in the land I promised to give to your ancestors. I mean, that sounds an awful lot like what Jesus is quoted answers when people say, hey, what's the most important commandment? What are we supposed to do? Remember, he, he quotes Deuteronomy 6. He says, hear, O Israel, or listen, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. This idea of listening and loving is at the very heart of what it means to follow God and seek his big thing. If we listen to God, we'll obey him and, and we'll obey him out of a love for him. And if we love him, we'll demonstrate that through our listening and our obedience. And this is what he's telling the people. And every time the prophet stands up, any prophet stands up and says, hey, reroute, reroute. It's because the people were not listening or they were not loving. Or they weren't loving, so they weren't listening. I mean, and maybe you know what happens. The people fail to follow God. I mean, that is the story from about right there to right there. From the Mount Sinai journey over to Moab where Deuteronomy takes place all throughout the rest of the Old Testament. This is their story. They don't listen and they don't love. And what does God do? He pursues them over and over and over. Almost like, almost like an abusive spouse who constantly runs away and the person chases them down. In fact, Scripture even compares it to an unhealthy marriage at times. God's love for his people. But that's what he does. He doesn't judge them. He doesn't, condemn, he doesn't come down on them. He pursues them. Yes, sometimes the rerouting signs involve pain and involve loss and involve judgment. But God never does that in this vindication. He does it out of this love and out of this pursuit. And he says, turn around. Be my people who will be a people of blessing in a place of blessing to bless the whole world. Make my big thing your big priority, not keep putting it down to this low, low priority. It's, it's almost as if the people's hearts are unable to take a look and make a change and sustain that change. Because they were. Because all the way back to Adam and Eve, when they had the choice between life or the knowledge of good and evil, they decided to take from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and they got evil. Their hearts are now unable to sustain a change where they can listen and love God. He needs a plan. Something has to change. And that's the whole story of the whole time. And that's the third step that Joel says. If you give your heart... I will change you because you can't do it on your own. But if you just give your heart, then I'll open up, I mean, almost I'll open up the heavens 
Joel says in chapter 2, give me your heart. He says, don't tear your clothing in grief in verse 13, but tear your hearts instead or rend your hearts. Make them one with me. If you return to me, you'll know that I'm merciful. I'm compassionate. I'm slow to get angry. I'm filled with unfailing love. This is, this is my, my heart for you. That's what God says. And, and Joel points to a day where one day people would have a new heart because they have a new spirit. He says in verse 28 and 29, he says, after I do all these things, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. On those days, I'll pour out my spirit even on servants, men and women alike. I mean, think about this. The spirit of God will be able to touch anyone, anyone, regardless of age, socioeconomic status, gender, ethnicity. I mean, it's crazy. And it's exactly what Peter says 50 days after Jesus rises from the grave. He says, what Joel talked about happened today. The Spirit of God came out. We can't control it. It's crazy, but people are actually listening to God and loving God because Jesus paved the way, because Jesus rose from the grave, because Jesus defeated sin. And now when we give our heart to Jesus, we actually have a chance to listen and to love him so that when a rerouting sign comes into our life, we don't have to go, I don't want to follow that. We can say, oh God, here I am. I love you. I'm so sorry that I went down the wrong path, but I give you my heart. It happened in Jesus' day. It happened when Peter stood up that day and talked about Joel 2, and I believe it can happen today that God is still sending his spirit out to people who are willing to listen to the rerouting signs in their life, not to punish them, not to make an example of them, but simply to have them return to him. So would you take a look, even right now in your life? Would you take a look at your life and your lifestyle, your choices, where you spend your time, where you spend your money, where you spend your thoughts? And are they bringing you closer to God so that when people see you in a normal day, on a normal week, they see more of Jesus? If not, then where do you need to make a change? Is something dominating your time or your thoughts so much so that it really makes God's big thing really low on your priority list? If that's the case, then again, no judgment. Just what do you need to change? And what do you need to give in your heart to God? Is there something that you do not have the power over, but God does? And if you just hand it to him, if you just hand it over, he will crush that. He will break you free of that. He will literally break the chains on that stronghold in your life and he will set you free to love him for all of eternity in starting now, today. How can you give your heart to him today? Will you pray with me? Holy Spirit of God, thank you for a prophet's message. 
that sounds a whole lot like Moses' message, that sounds a whole lot like all the other prophets' messages, because we have the same problem that the people did from the very beginning. It's hard to listen, and it's hard to love. Thank you for signs in our life, God, that cause us to take a look, that cause us to make a change. But God, I pray that we would give you our hearts. So meet us right now, Holy Spirit, and speak to us. Speak to every person in this room. Show each one what is pulling them away from you. Maybe a pattern in their life that is dominating. And give God, give your power for them to break free, to be set free, not to do their own thing, but just to fully follow you. God, set each of us free so that your priorities can be our priorities. I mean, Jesus, you came just as every prophet predicted, and you bring us a new heart and a new spirit, and I pray that we, even if we've said yes to you before, I pray today we could renew our commitment to you. We could say, yes, we have a new heart. Yes, we have a new spirit in the name of Jesus, and we stand in it. And if we've never done that before, God, I pray out of your mercy, your compassion, and your love that we would hear your grace in this message, your good news, that you don't run after us to punish us, that you run after us to set us free, that you run after us to bring us back to you. And I pray, even if it's for the first time, that we'd give you our heart. You say, Jesus, I love you. I can't do it on my own, but you can lead my life. You can make the changes that I need to make, and I give you my heart so that I can be set free. You'll give me a new spirit, a new mind, a new heart, a new soul to listen and love you, to find life. Amen.